talk about Facebook. Uh, there was a couple weeks ago, I went to go see one of my favorite baseball players speak. It was Chipper Jones, went up to uh, the Furman Baseball Banquet up there and got to hear him speak. And uh, if you want to hear some of the stuff he said, you can come find me and I'll be glad to share it with you. But when I came home, I was getting on I-20, it was probably about 11 o'clock at night, and right there where the Flying J is, I was like, oh good, I'm finally going to make good timing, I'm going to get home before midnight, and it was bumper to bumper traffic. Now, if you've ever been in traffic, there's two things that are going to happen. One, there's, there's probably going to be a little fender bender or something like that. I mean, hopefully it's not a really bad wreck, but a lot of times down south, it's cleanup. There, there's nothing going on. Maybe it's like there's a cat that's dead on the side of the road and everyone's kind of stopping to look. That was one of those moments for me. And it happened to be at 11 o'clock at night. So I wasn't real thrilled as I drive past the scene and realize, okay, no big deal. Now, I was thinking about Facebook and I thought, you know what? That, that's, a, that's, that's how it is for a lot of people. You know, it, it, is a, uh, it can be a great tool, but can also prevent us from living the way that we should. Sometimes it is a, a I call it the hiding behind a brick wall theory. Oftentimes, you'll, you don't mind getting on Facebook and, and writing something that you're mad at somebody or something like that. But then if uh, we come and talk to you face to face, all of a sudden you act like nothing ever happened. It's like, okay, well, I can hide behind this. I can put it on social media and allow everybody in the world to see it. But then when I'm with them, I'll just kind of deny that it even happened. And so when I look at this, I see that it can be a great tool or it can uh, be something that really pulls us down. And so today when I look at Facebook, what I want us to talk about is simply this, is the word image. And it's Facebook. When I think about it, I think of it, is it truth or is it a facade? Now, I'm talking about you. And for those of you who maybe aren't even on Facebook or don't even have social media, students, this applies for Twitter, Instagram, any form of social media, then the message still applies because it goes back to the image that you are presenting everywhere that you go. Listen to this quote. It says, who you are determines your image, but your image determines who you are. And I think it's important for all of us today to look and see, okay, where does our image rest? What is the influence of our image? This persona that we are presenting to different people, what is the motivation behind that? Is it a a motivation built from insecurities that I'm wanting to present something so that people like me? I'm going to get on and talk about uh, going to Walmart so that people can look at it and say, why did they just waste their sentence? You know, other things like that. I look on, sorry, I'm going to get on the soapbox here in a second if I don't stop myself because sometimes it can get really frustrating looking at some of the stuff that people put up and it can be like a train wreck. So let's just stop right there. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Colossians chapter 3 and we're going to talk about this image that God wants us to, uh, to have. And what we see in this passage is where the foundation of the image rest. And so my hope for you today is as you are here that you'll look at this, you'll take it to heart and you'll really allow God's word to affect you. And so I had someone once tell, I I was talking some time ago and I said, well, I'm going to be talking about something that may hurt some people's feelings and may, may step on some toes. And uh, the person that I was talking to uh, was a a, a good pastor. You may know him if you turn on TV to WLTX um, and he may be the father of a pastor here. Um, But he told me, so Matthew, why do we have feet? I said, I don't know. He said to step on. And so I said, okay, that's good advice. So today, if you feel like your toes are being stepped on, 
uh, that's between you and the Lord. And so I want y'all to, to y'all can, y'all can uh, hash that out because all I'm going to be doing is presenting what I feel like he wants me to say and speaking his truth through his word. So that probably gave you time to open up to Colossians 3. So let's begin reading there. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on, on, on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When we're looking at this passage today, really what this is, it's a presentation of the person who you are in Christ as opposed to the person who you used to be. And I'll go ahead and tell you that there will be a constant battle until Jesus comes again and takes us to be with him with this thing called the flesh. But our desire, as we look at this passage, and I'll explain a little bit later, is to follow Christ more so than the things of this world. But before you can even do that, there has to be something that takes place in your life. And there has to be a belief that takes place. And when I say a belief, there has to be a trust in Christ. And specifically in this passage, it says, if then you have been raised with Christ. What it is referencing is as a result of Christ's death and resurrection, we ourselves can be raised with him as well. In other words, he has come and he paid the penalty for our sin. And as he walked away from death, as he walked away from the grave, there is an opportunity for us to do so as well. To walk away from this old life that tries to entangle us, as Hebrews 12 says, tries to bring us down and prevent us from living the way that God wants us and intends for us to live, that we can break away from it only through one thing, and that is the resurrection. Oftentimes in the church, we, we sing about Christ's death. We, we look over, and as we get close to Easter, you can see on the cross that we have this symbol, a symbol that is a very brutal symbol, a symbol that if we really understood the significance and just the brutality of the, of the crucifixion, that maybe we would not wear it as much. But see, here's the thing. The crucifixion was just the beginning. The end and the exclamation point is the resurrection. And if you don't believe that, then there's really no point in moving forward. Because that is the foundation where we have to stand today. Now, there are many critics out there, skeptics, who do not believe in the resurrection. One of the theories that they present is the swoon theory. What they say is that after Jesus was beaten, after he was put into the tomb, after he was crucified, that the coolness of the tomb revived him and he was able to get up and walk out. The, the word swoon, it means that he fainted. So they say that he, it's the fainted theory that Jesus just passed out and then he got up and walked away. Now here, let me refute this for you for a second. As we look at the Roman ways of execution, There is no way that someone could survive any one of them. One of the ways that they would uh, execute someone would be out of, they would burn them alive. Another was, they would call it, it's called the penalty of the sack. What they would do is they would put you in a sack and they would sew it together. Now, they would put inside that sack, they would put sometimes a dog, maybe a monkey, a snake, or a rooster. And so they put that in there and then they'd throw you into the water and they would let you drown and they would also allow the animals to just, you know, I'll leave it at that. Another was decapitation. Another was scourging. 
Now, we see in the scripture that Jesus was scourged. And the Bible says he was scourged and flogged. That was a part of the crucifixion process. But there was none that was uh, more brutal than the crucifixion. And we see that's what Jesus endured for us. And there are some that they would just be crucified. But with Jesus, we do see in the Gospels that not only was he crucified, but he was brutally beaten beforehand. Now, what they would do is they would take this thing called a cat of nine tails. They would pick up any loose metal, any loose bones, and they would strap it on to these, uh, these leather whips. There's nine of them on one of them. And so what they would do is they'd lock you down. Now, many believe that if you endured 40 lashes, that your body could not uh, endure that much and so that you would die. So we know this much, that Jesus did not endure the maximum um, amount of lashes or else he would have not have been able to take in the cross. And so they would whip you with that. And oftentimes the shrapnel would get stuck and then you can picture the rest there. If you want to see a very accurate depiction of the crucifixion and that I encourage you to watch the Passion of the Christ and you'll see one that is very accurate. So we see that Jesus endured that, but then they gave him a a beam, a beam that weighed anywhere between 75 to 125 pounds, and they wanted him to walk about 0.7 miles. Just to give you a picture of it, it would be like in front of Blythewood High School, walking from the front of the school out onto uh, the the road there and then turning on Blythewood Road and going to the McDonald's. So after being brutally beaten, he had to carry that. And then they laid him down, they put nails in his hands and one through his feet and they watched him as he died. Now, I am not a rocket scientist. I don't claim to be, but I'm pretty sure that nobody can, uh, can walk away from that alive. And so we look at that and we see that Jesus, yes, he died. But does that still prove the resurrection? Because there's something that we have to look at and there's an answer, um, there's a question that we have to answer for ourselves is do we really believe that Jesus is God? Because only God has the power to raise someone from the dead. Listen to what Peter said after the resurrection in Acts 2 verse 32. He said, God raised Jesus from the dead. And we are all witnesses of this. And Acts 2.24 says, But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. This passage proves to us that it was the God in Jesus that enabled him to walk away from the dead. See, I stand here today believing that Jesus was fully 100% man and fully 100% God. The Bible said to pay for the penalty of our sin, it had to be someone from the line of Adam. What that means is it had to be someone who was a human. Only a human could pay the penalty for the crime which we committed against God. But a human does not have power to give us hope and to walk away from death which had to take place in order for all of us to be able to have salvation, which comes through Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. Another word in this passage here in Acts 2.32, it says, and we are all witnesses of this. A couple years ago, I went to Israel. When I was there, I got to see Golgotha, where they believed that Jesus uh, was crucified, the place of the skull on the outside of the city, which was one of the lowliest ways to die. They wouldn't even allow you the honor of being um, crucified within your own city walls. They had to take you on the outside of the city. It was just more humiliation. And then I walked in the tomb, the garden tomb, which is right next door, where many scholars believe that they laid Jesus. 
I touched it. I saw it. I was overwhelmed. Because I truly believe that was where he was. As I went on that trip on the way home, I sat next to a person. He was a a Hindu. And we were talking about our faith. And he was sharing with me about uh, the God that they worship and this, uh, this one of many that they have. And, and he was saying that this God rose from the dead. And I just asked him a simple question. I said, well, where's your proof? Did, did anybody see it? And he goes, well, I mean, not, not really. They just, there's rumors that it happened, but no one really saw it. And I said, well, one of the cool things about our God is that there were witnesses that Jesus revealed himself to them, that they saw that. Not only did they see that, but they devoted their lives to it. And many of them were killed in the same ways of that I mentioned to you earlier. Listen to what 1 Corinthians fifteen six says. Paul writes, Then he appeared, meaning Jesus, to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Let me put this in, in perspective for you. 1 Corinthians was written about 20 years after Jesus had resurrected from the dead. So we would be looking at probably early 90s. And so there's many of us here who have witnessed different things in the early 90s that we can uh, account to, that we have seen on on television. Uh, Many of you uh, remember... Desert Storm and other events that have taken place. And so you can talk about that with great accuracy because you have witnessed it, because you have seen that. These people witnessed Jesus raising from the dead. They can talk about it with great accuracy because he revealed himself to 500 people. And so they take that and then they spread his word. And so today as we lay out this foundation for this image that we are supposed to have, we've got to realize that Christ has risen. He is alive and he wants a relationship with you. And he so desperately is crying out for you to follow him. And when you do that, then you shift from the old self to the new self. And you live the way that God intended you to live. So we first believe in Christ. But secondly, we see in this passage that we are to seek after Christ. It says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things on earth. So we are to seek after Christ. So there is an action that takes place in our life. So as we begin to follow Christ, it's something that takes place daily. We see that in the Gospels, as Jesus says that we are to take up our cross daily and to follow him. But when I'm looking at this passage today, I want to share with you something that I think will set home with all of you. It's that you will find what you are seeking. You realize that you will will eventually find what you are seeking. Now, that doesn't mean that you are actually seeking after Christ, but what you are wanting, you will find. Let me explain this. When I first started here in the church, I've sat down with different students over the years, and they'll come to me and talk to me about different situations going on in their life. Now, I am not a, a therapist. I'm not... Uh, going to be able to sit down and really help your student as far as uh, clinically and all this stuff. I will listen and I will share with the scripture and I will pray for them. But God has not called me uh, into that form of ministry. My ministry is to be able to teach and to disciple and to share the gospel in that way. But I had some students that would come down, one in particular was struggling with a certain matter. And this person had gone to four other people before they came to talk to me. They told me this particular problem. We just pulled out the Bible and we went through everything. The Bible is very black and white on this topic. And I remember the person looked at me and said, well, thank you. 
you're the fifth person that has told me the exact same thing. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well then clearly you're supposed to follow what the Bible is telling you, but this person did not want that. This person did not want that. See, your life will be a reflection of what you want. Your profile on Facebook will be a reflection of what you want. The pictures that you post will be a reflection of what you want. The things that you write will be a reflection of what you want. Your status will be a reflection of what you want. And so my question with you is, what are you seeking after? Are you seeking after a happiness that cannot come as a result of man, as a result of yourself? Are you seeking after the joy and the hope that comes only through Jesus? It is a miracle that only he can provide. That word seek means to desire. See, what it means is we are to desire after Christ. And one of the problems, I think, when we look at this passage is that we really don't believe in the promises that Christ wants to offer. Because if we truly believed in the promises that he has for us, if we truly believed in the life that he has for us, then there would be many of us here that would be on our knees. There would be many actions that take place in your lives that would be pointing more towards Jesus than the things of this world that will not help you. But what does God want to give us? What he wants to provide for us is this. Listen to what Philippians 4.19 says. says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Not our riches. We don't even know what is best for us. God knows what is best for us. And God wants to give us his riches. I mean, do you hear that? That God wants to give us his glory, his splendor. He wants to give us that. He wants to share that with us. Another passage says that we are heirs of his. That is the hope that only comes when we seek after Christ. But that hope requires great faith. And that great faith is, is, is displayed, what I think, through Abraham. As he was told to sacrifice his son. Now, I don't know what he was going through. I imagine that would be pretty tough. But what I do know is this, is that Abraham went to sacrifice his son, and as he was about to kill his son, an angel said, Abraham, stop. And God provided a ram for him to sacrifice instead. And Abraham called that spot Yahweh Yireh which means the Lord will provide. Sometimes we've got to go through hardships to understand God's provision. Sometimes we've got to take great leaps of faith rather than small steps of faith to understand God's provision. But what we have got to know is when we seek Christ, God will provide. But when we seek, we have got to focus. And focusing takes determination. And so we seek after Christ, but the passage also says that we are to set our minds on Christ. It says, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. But listen, it says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth, 
For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We are to set our minds and focus on Christ. But it takes determination. And to seek Christ and to set our minds on Christ kind of go hand in hand. And it goes back to that faith aspect. Share another story with you. When I was in high school, I, uh, I dated a girl for about three years, probably a couple years too long. But in that time, I was afraid to break up with her. Now, the reason why I was afraid to break up with her is because I did not know what was going to come as a result. You know, I think too often there's times in our lives that we hold on to stuff because we're afraid to let go knowing that God will provide something even greater. Now, I didn't know how many years down the road it was going to be, but obviously, you know, I found something much greater. There you go. And so it took, it took a little while. And here's what I learned is that God's timing and God's provision is better than mine. And if I'd only had faith, I wouldn't have to have gone through a lot of the hardships that I went through prior to. But sometimes it's not easy. And I'm not going to sit here and act like this life is easy. And sometimes we are going to make mistakes. But in those times in which we make those mistakes, the difference is this. Where's our desire? What are we seeking? And where's our focus? So what are we to set our mind on? The Bible describes our image in two different ways. We've got the old self and the new self. So we see when Christ takes over our life, all of a sudden this old self is gone and this new self has come. So when we look at our image, what are some things that should not uh, be displayed in our life? Let's look and see as we continue reading in this passage. Paul writes, therefore, put to death what belongs to your worldly nature. He doesn't say, hey, let's just put it up on a shelf. We'll let it hang out for a little bit. And then when I'm getting hungry, I'm going to go pick it up again. Or then when I'm getting thirsty, I'm going to go pick it up again. No, he says, we are to put it to death. When Christ died, he did not die in vain. He did not die for us to continue to go back and wrestle with this old life. He died so that it would be in the ground, that it would be done, and that the nail would be sealed on the coffin, and that we would not have to bother with it again. He gave us that hope. And so what are we to put away? It says sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath comes on the disobedient, and you once walked in these ways when you were living in them. But now we are also to put off this anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. I can go online right now if any of you have social media. I can type in your name. I can type in a topic. And if there is something that has related, uh, if it relates to you and something that you have posted, I can find that. I see stuff each and every week that is very disheartening for me. And I'm not going to sit and act like I have not made a mistake either. But when I pull up Twitter and I see students that I'm in Bible study with cussing, that hurts. You know what hurts even more is when I see their parents doing it. And then I know, oh, it doesn't matter what I say. If mom and dad do it, it doesn't give a rip what I say. 
because you are going to be the greatest influence in their life. And I look and see that we have an image to uphold that's either going to point people towards Jesus or throw them away from Jesus. And if you believe in heaven and if you believe in hell, then your desire should be for no one to ever go to hell. And that they would know the hope and the love of the gospel. So we throw those things away and our new self comes on display. Listen to what it says that we are supposed to do. It says, therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved. That word holy means to be set apart. In other words, that when we are living like we are supposed to, we are set apart from the world. That we are to look different. Put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another. You know, one of my fears in Facebook is this, is that we can create this false reality where we can make ourselves a God of this world. We can filter in anything that comes in. We can do anything that we want. We can run this world for ourselves. It's no different than this own life. We may do that with our job. We may do that with our family. We may do that in many different ways, but we're trying to run it for ourselves. And when I look at Facebook, and when I look at that attitude, what it does is it points everything back to me. Me, me, me. When I was a kid, my mom displayed humility. She taught me that there should be nobody greater, that you should never treat anyone um, with, with you know, more greatness than anybody else, that you should always treat them with respect. No matter what the job, no matter what it may be. For that very reason, one of the things that we never put on our car, and I'm not getting on to you if you do, is my, my kid's an honor roll student. My kid does this, my kid does that. You know, bragging about your kid is just as bad as, as bragging about yourself in some situations. But I look at this and it says humility. Humility. You know, what about lifting up the other person? What about helping the other person out? Maybe when they aren't doing as well at an athletic event. Maybe they're not doing as well academically. God tells us that we are to put other people's needs above our own. That's what it means to love one another. And I love what it says here, forgiving one another. Y'all, there's so much bitterness on social media. Oh my goodness, there's so much bitterness. Don't talk about somebody's team or else they're going to jump all over you. Y'all, bitterness has no business being a part of Christianity. It has no business being anywhere near it. Forgiveness is the opposite of that, and forgiveness is what God has called us to do. No matter what somebody says about you, you know what? Who cares? Yeah, words hurt sometimes, but I mean, really, who cares? I know a lot of pastors, they worry so much about their critics that they'll blog and they'll get on there and they get really uh, defensive, very venomous towards their critics and stuff like that. I'm sitting there thinking, who cares? Y'all probably talk bad about me. That's whatever. That's between you and God. But we're called to forgive each other. 
But most importantly, it says, above all, put on love. The perfect bond of unity. How do they know that we are disciples of God? They know by how we love one another. That word love is agape. That means it's an eternal, everlasting love. It has no bounds at all. That's the love that God has given us. When we do wrong to him, he still agapes us. When we post things that we shouldn't, God still agapes us. And he says that you should have that same love to one another, forgiving one another. And he says, that is the love that brings unity. One of my favorite things on Wednesday nights when we have the the middle school and on Sunday nights when we have the high school is, is during worship. There's certain songs where, where Will will just take a step back from the, the microphone and you can just hear the students singing. It is a beautiful sound and it is a sound of unity and love being lifted up to our Lord and Savior. See, when the church operates the way that it's supposed to, when your life reflects the image of Christ, then there will be great unity. There will be unity amongst us here. There will be unity in your home. And that can only come as a result of Christ's love. So in closing today, I want to ask you this. Does your social media world reflect the old self or the new? I'll ask it again. Does your social media world reflect the old self or the new? It doesn't have to be social media. It could be your own life. But then the hope is this. The hope that is, if you look at yourself and you realize, Matthew, you know what? Man, this old self keeps bogging me down. It doesn't have to. Christ walked away from death. I think he can change you. I think he can help you. And so how I want to encourage you with this is in your bulletin on the left-hand side. Maybe God's been putting it on your heart. You can just fill that out that that you want to know more about him. Or or maybe today you've realized, Matthew, I want to commit my life to him. You can just put that in in the offering plate when we close here in just a minute. But the challenge today is for you to reflect the image of God. And only you can make that choice. Do you believe in him? Are you seeking him? Are you focusing your all on Christ? 